to everybody. <laughs> Who's the Jamaican in our crowd here? <laughs> um, today is the first Sunday of the month, and so of course that means it's family worship, and I love it when we have family worship time. Um, the last time everybody was together was just a couple of weeks ago for Christmas uh, Sunday, and it was just a wonderful time where everybody gathered together. So we're actually starting the new year, going back into the story. So we took about a three-week um, break from it, and uh, we've finished chapter 11 at the last point. I don't know if you all remember. It's been a while. There's been lots of parties, New Year's Eve, all of that has happened. So you probably forgot what has happened uh, from the beginning, or hopefully you haven't forgotten. At least you've remembered some of it. But in case you had, um, we're going to do a little bit of a rewind and show you and review from uh, chapters 1 through today, which is we're studying chapter 12 today. So let me start that. And we hope that it's going to work. Sound? Humans were formed in God's image to continue God's work. But soon, humans decided we want to live our way, not God's. Selfishness and violence filled the world. So God started over with just one family. And God made a covenant with a man named Abraham. The land around you is now yours. Your family will be my blessing to the entire world. In just a few generations, they grew into a large nation named Israel. The Egyptians became fearful and forced the Israelites to be their slaves. Through a humble leader named Moses, God led the Israelites in a great exodus back toward their promised land. Along the journey, God gave laws and commands to help the Israelites follow God's ways. Finally, after 40 years of struggle and complaining in the desert, the Israelites arrived back home in the promised land. In victory, the people worshipped God, but soon after, they turned from God and lived their own rebellious ways. This became a pattern from generation to generation. Israel's greatest judge was Samuel. He followed God's ways and spoke for God as a prophet. He told Israel that God was the only king they ever needed. But they desired to be like the corrupt nations surrounding them and insisted, we want a human king who we can see to rule over us just like the other nations. So Samuel found a man named Saul to be Israel's first king. His reign began well, but before long, Saul stopped following God's ways and made many bad decisions. So Samuel told Saul, because you have turned your back on God, God has rejected you as a king. Samuel's search for the next king led to a courageous young shepherd boy named David. When David grew up to be king, God blessed him and the Israelites greatly. But David was not perfect. He had an affair with a married woman and committed a murder to cover it up. But deep inside, David always loved God and would return to living in God's ways. Known as the poet warrior, he wrote music to God called Psalms, heartfelt expressions of prayer, struggle, and thankfulness. After many years as king, David gave the throne to his son Solomon. God also told David, one day, one of your descendants will rule with a kingdom that will never end. All right, so we got to see a little bit of um, what the story is about. 
And I don't know if you picked it up through the first 11 chapters or not, but essentially the story of God is a story of God starting something, God blessing it, and then man sort of taking things into his own hands, and then God redeeming it or bringing it back to where he wants it to be. So that's where we are today. In fact, as we ended that, um, the last couple of chapters, there were two kings that were named there. Who, who were the two kings that were named at the very, very end? Saul and David. Okay, that's pretty close. But actually, the, if you caught it at the very end, the very last king that was mentioned was Solomon, right? So Solomon, and then David was actually Solomon's dad. Now, um, you know, we just finished um, Christmas, and one of my favorite parts of Christmas is decorating things, all right? So I want to do a little bit of a decoration today, and I need three, help, three volunteers to help me, three young volunteers to help me. So Sammy, can you come up? And then Eva, come on up. And then let's see, how about way back there? Is that Hannah? Come on up, Hannah. So the three girls like to decorate. All right. Okay, so I have something that's kind of similar to frosting, right? Frosting. And Hannah, if you could help me out. Oh, sorry. Allie. My bad. Okay, can you take this tube of, of writing gel and just squeeze it out in there? Make some squiggles all around, all around, move it all around. Just make some different designs. Okay, good job. Thank you. Perfect. That's great. Let me put the cap back on. So, All right. Okay, Eva, can you do the green one for me? There you go. All right, just squiggle it all around. Make it nice and a crossover. There you go. That's good. Good. Beautiful. Okay, one last one. Yellow. Okay, Samantha. There you go. Oh, ooh, you're, ooh, yeah. Go for it, girl. You go, girl. All right. Oh, thank you so much. Look at, isn't that pretty? Isn't that beautiful? Everybody, that's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, you know what? I made a mistake. This is the wrong kind of frosting. Gee, what should I do? Samantha, can you put the frosting back inside of the tube for me? Can you put the, no, can you put the frosting in here back inside the tube for me? No? You can't do it? Oh. Oh, I'm sorry. Wow. Hmm. Well, you know what? Maybe it's still okay. I have a big sugar cookie here. I have a couple, but I'm just going to use one. What I'm going to do is, and I haven't done this yet, so hopefully it'll work out. I'm going to put this in here and see if it uh, comes out with a nice design. Oh, that's pretty, isn't it? Is that pretty? Is that pretty? <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you. You can go back to your seats now with your families. You want to eat it? 
No. Okay. <laughs> Down. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes we make mistakes, right? And um, it's hard to undo those mistakes. Once you squeeze the frosting out of the tube, you can't put it back in. But God, in his great plan, takes our mistakes and makes something beautiful out of them. And that's the story that we're, that we're going to talk about today with King David. So remember that he was a, a shepherd when he first uh, was a young boy. And as a shepherd, God decided that David was going to be the next king of Israel. Um, because the, the existing king, King Saul, who said King Saul? Somebody said King Saul. You were right. The king before David. Um, was an okay king. He did okay. But then he made mistakes, some mistakes. And he didn't really follow God. He wasn't really um, listening to God's voice. He was kind of doing his own thing. He was doing the best that he could. But he wasn't really the king that God wanted to be there. And so Saul eventually dies in a battle, and David is anointed the new king. And uh, David is very successful. The reason he's so successful is that every time he was going to do something, he prayed to God. He asked God, should I do this? And if God said yes, then he would do it, and David would be successful. But one day, in chapter in chapter 12 of the story, actually it comes from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 11. It says, one day in the springtime, when all the kings, all the other kings go out to war, to do battle, King David stayed at home. And uh, he was taking a nap, and he woke up, and he was restless. And so he went up to the rooftop, and he took a walk. And as he was walking around the rooftop, he saw a beautiful lady. Oh, no, not yet. <laughs> Kids are staying here still. Um, he saw a beautiful lady. He saw a beautiful lady, and he wanted her to be his wife. The only problem was she was already married, and her name was Bathsheba. And so David made a big mistake here. He, uh, he wanted Bathsheba so much to be his wife that he had Bathsheba's husband come back and um, try to get him to go home and, and be with his wife. Um, and then he sent Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, back out to battle. And he asked his commander to, in essence, put Uriah in a place where he would be killed in battle. And that's what happened. And so, after a little bit of time, David married Bathsheba. And he thought everything was okay. But it wasn't. And so God sends uh, a prophet, Nathan, to David and, and says, you, you made a big mistake. And David repents, and he confesses his sin to God. Now, in this story, I want you to discuss with your family. So if you're sitting with your family, I want you to get together 
And I want, to ask, I want to ask you a couple of questions. I want you to discuss as a family, okay? Now, think about yourself in this last year, 2013, okay? Everybody, moms and dads, kids, teenagers, uh, if you're here by yourself, think about, um, you know, your, your, the last year. And whether or not you made any mistakes in 2013, okay? Now, I want you to discuss in your family what were some of the reasons that King David made a mistake in this, in this case. So take a couple of minutes and, and discuss together, all right? What do you think are some of the reasons King David made a mistake? Okay, let's hear, let's hear some reasons why you think King David made a mistake in this place. Yes, over here. He was selfish. Yeah, he was selfish. He was thinking about himself first. How about over here? Abby, what do you think? He was jealous. He wanted something that somebody else had. Yes, very good. Good job. Anything else? Right here, Clint. Idle time. Yeah, you know, it says when, when um, other kings were out making war, David stayed home, right? He was not really doing what he was supposed to be doing. Samantha, did you have an answer? Go ahead. He was, he was bored. Idle time. Exactly. He was bored. Okay, so now we all make mistakes, right? I want you to dis- discuss something else. And it's, this, it's this. Why do you think it's hard sometimes for people to admit they were wrong? Okay? Talk about it to your, to, in, with your family. Why do you think it's hard sometimes for people to admit they were wrong? Okay? Got some answers for me? How about let's start on this side. Anybody over here? Pat. Sign of weakness, yes. How about over here, Pam? Pride, yes, pride. Just too proud to admit you're wrong. How many of us have ever been like that? Yeah, okay. I think all of us. Yes, Samantha, did you have an answer? Okay, pride. Anybody else? Any other answers? Okay, the last question I want you to discuss. Why do you think it's important to say sorry to others and to God? Why do you think it's so important to say sorry to others and to God? Okay, anybody? How about on this side now? Anybody? Why is it important to say sorry to God and to others? Nobody? How about on this side? Anybody? Pat? 
Sorry? You can start over again, yes. You know when you, when you do something wrong and you make a mistake against somebody, you kind of break your relationship. And when you say sorry, it's a way of starting over again. It's a way of redeeming the situation. Well, you know, King David, like the, like the video said, was a songwriter, and he wrote these songs called the Psalms. And the, basically, the psalm, Psalms means songs, okay? In this case, we have the words to the songs, but not the melodies anymore, so sometimes we take the words and rewrite, rewrite the melodies. But this is a psalm that King David wrote after Nathan the prophet came and talked to him about his affair with Bathsheba. And it really shows to us where David's heart is in terms of his relationship with God. Because he, like most of us, was willing to admit that he was wrong, first of all, and he wanted to change his ways. And, and the, the biggest thing here is that he says that he has sinned against God. He has sinned against God. And when we sin, we don't just sin against other people, but we sin especially against God. I want us to read Psalm 51 together so that we can get an idea of what was in David's heart. All right, let's read it all together. Be merciful to me, O God, because of your constant love, because of your great mercy. Wipe away my sins. Wash away all my evil and make me clean from my sin. I recognize my fault. I am always conscious of my sins. I have sinned against you, only against you, and done what you consider evil. So you are right in judging me. You are justified in condemning me. I have been evil from the day I was born. From the time I was conceived, I have been sinful. Sincerity and truth are what you require. Fill my mind with your wisdom. Remove my sin and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear the sounds of joy and gladness. And though you have crushed me and and broken me, I will be happy once again. Close your eyes to my sin and wipe out all my evil. Create a pure heart in me, O God, and put a new and loyal spirit in me. Do not banish me from your presence Do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. Give me again the joy that comes from your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Okay, so I hope that you can take that prayer and make it your own. Whenever you face temptations that make you sin and make mistakes, go to Psalm 51 and go to God and confess it to him. All right, so I want to dismiss the promised land children. And let's see, how do we want to do this? Pre-K, K? Okay, follow Uncle Yenting, pre-K, K class. And uh, first and second, over here, Auntie Tanya. Three fours. Three fours, Auntie Elaine right here. Okay, fifth grade, who's, going, who's taking fifth grade? Uncle Glenn's taking fifth grade. And then, um, Park, are you going to stay or are you going to go? Park, you're going to stay. All right, all right.
Well, again, happy uh, 2014. Um, for a lot of kids, today is the very last day of vacation. How many of you are really happy about that? <laughs> How many of you are really sad about that? <laughs> uh, school teacher over here. <laughs> well, we're also starting the second leg of the story series, and this leg is subtitled, God Pursues His People. Okay? The first leg was, chapters 1 through 11, was God makes, his, makes a people. This one is God Pursues His People. And as the rewind showed us, we're through chapter 11 and starting chapter 12. Now, we did the whole rewind video, but I want us to take a look um, at a video just for chapter 12, in case some of you didn't have a chance to read it, we'll catch you up, and you'll be right where everybody else is. So um, let's take a look at this. Let me do this. One day, King David was walking around the roof of his palace and saw a woman bathing in her home. Her name was Bathsheba, the wife of a soldier named Uriah, who was off fighting in the war. David thought she was beautiful and sent his messengers to get her. They brought her to him, and David and Bathsheba slept with one another. Shortly after, Bathsheba sent word to David that she was pregnant with David's child. To hide what he had done, David quickly devised a plan. He called Uriah back from the war, hoping that he would sleep with Bathsheba, and it would look like he had gotten her pregnant. But when Uriah came home, he slept on a mat outside his house, because he didn't want to disrespect his fellow soldiers still at war by living comfortably while he was at home. So David came up with another plan. He sent Uriah back to the battlefield and instructed the commander to put Uriah on the front lines of battle where he was most likely to be killed. And that's exactly what happened. Shortly after, David married Bathsheba and she gave birth to their son. But God was unhappy with David and sent Nathan to tell him a story. There were two men, one rich and one poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little lamb who was like a child to him. Now a guest comes to the home of the rich man, but instead of taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal, the rich man steals the poor man's one sheep and kills it. David was furious. This man must die for what he has done, David said. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. David immediately realized how wrong he had been and confessed to Nathan and to God all of the things he had done. Even though God forgave David, there were still terrible consequences because of his actions. David and Bathsheba's infant son became sick and died. Then, years later, their second son, Absalom, did something no one, even David, expected. He gathered an army together to overthrow his father as king. Before the battle began, David gave instructions to his soldiers not to kill Absalom. 
But during the battle, Absalom was riding a mule under the thick branches of a large oak tree, and his hair got caught in the tree, leaving him hanging as the mule rode away. One of David's commanders, Joab, found Absalom. And despite David's instructions, he and his soldiers drove their spears through Absalom and killed him. Because of this, David was heartbroken, wishing that it had been him who died instead of his son. Even after these tragedies, David continued to worship God. He had not forgotten about God's promise to one day build the temple. So David told his son, Solomon, that he was to start building it. In his final days as king, David led the Israelites in worship of God for all of the ways that God had helped them and provided for them over the years. Then, shortly before his death, David handed over his kingship to Solomon. As you can see... King David, while being one of the most successful kings in the nation of Israel, was still very human and very weak. I'm sure if David were entering a new year, as we are, he would want to make some New Year's resolutions, or at least he would want a huge do-over. Let's pray as we begin this new year. Father, we face um, a new year, a blank slate, in essence, and... um, While 2013 has come and gone, there have been many ups, there have been many downs, but we've seen your hand and we've seen your faithfulness in all, and we give you thanks. We pray that as we continue through the story, that you would continue to show us your heart for us, for your people, for your creation, and ultimately for all of creation. So we give you thanks in Jesus' name. I think the first thing that we can see from David's story is that um, temptation can overwhelm us when we are vulnerable. And sometimes we're most vulnerable when we think we're strong. Um, Chapter 12, page 160 in the story taken from 2 Samuel 11 starts this way. The following spring, at the time of the year when kings usually go to war, David sent out Joab with his officers and the Israelite army. They defeated the Ammonites and besieged the city of Rabbah, but David himself stayed in Jerusalem. One day, late in the afternoon, David got up from his nap and went to the palace roof. As he walked around there, he saw a woman taking a bath in her house. She was very beautiful. So he sent a messenger to find out who she was and learned that she was Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. David moves from facing a temptation to committing sin and then trying to cover them up. David is at the very height of his success and popularity. Going back to as far as chapter 7 in 2 Samuel, uh, this records God's blessing David with favor, and then chapter 8 records his success in battle. Chapter 9 tells about his keeping of a promise to bless one of Saul's relatives. Chapter 10 tells of his defeat of the Ammonites, and then we come to chapter 11. Now, what do you think are some of the factors that led 
David to succumb to his temptation. We already talked about some of them. Maybe he was just bored. Maybe he was so successful that he began to think he was above everybody else. What was behind David staying behind? Well, whatever reason it was, David finds himself out one evening on his rooftop, and he spots Bathsheba, his next-door neighbor. And like so many of us, he not only sins, but he compounds his sins by trying to cover, up, cover them up. He begins to try to cover up his tracks. So the first thing that David did was he committed adultery with Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, and he gets her pregnant. You know, at any point along this path towards sin, David could have stopped. He could have placed safeguards in his life to prevent this tragedy from happening. But just like so many other fallen leaders, perhaps David thinks he is above everybody else. Instead of just coming clean, instead of admitting that he's wrong, like so many of us, he compounds his sin by trying to cover them up. He begins to try to cover up his tracks. First, David tries to get Uriah to sleep with Bathsheba, so everyone will think the baby is Bathsheba's, I mean, sorry, and, and Uriah's. Uh, and Uriah, a man of integrity, refuses. It's ironic that Uriah proves to be a man of greater integrity than David himself. David should have been in the battlefield, right? David should have been sleeping in tents, doing what kings do, instead of being at home, in his nice, warm, comfortable bed, taking a stroll on his rooftop. David should be with his men, not his captain's wife. But Uriah maintains his integrity and duty and refuses to enjoy the comforts of home and family while his men are out on the battlefield. Now David's plan to cover up his, his tracks is foiled. So he takes another step down the slippery slope of self-delusion. David arranges to have Uriah killed in battle, and then David marries Bathsheba. David sends Uriah back with a message for Joab, his second-in-command. It's interesting that David sends Uriah back with his own death warrant. He tells Joab to put Uriah with the men at the front of the fiercest battle and then withdraw the rest of them, in essence guaranteeing that Uriah will die. This would have been a good time to say, what was he thinking? What was he thinking? I don't know if you read the story of, of the lady who was the uh, PR person at um, a company called Vimeo, an uh, uh, internet company called Vimeo. Um, she tweeted an inappropriate post before she took off on a plane ride to Africa. And when she arrived, she found out that the, the tweet had already gone viral. It had already gone around the world. And she found out that she lost her job in that short plane ride. <coughs> you got to ask, what was she thinking? What was she thinking? Well, the same can be said of David. 
Did he really think that he could just send Uriah along with his own death sentence and that Joab or anyone else wouldn't suspect anything? You know, that's what sin does to us, isn't it? Doesn't it? It isn't just the sin of adultery, although that's a pretty heinous sin in and of itself, but pretty much every sin has the same M.O. behind it. Any sin in our lives, when we do it, we begin to justify it. And if, then if we need to, we begin to try to cover it up. If you have kids, think about them. Think about when they do something wrong. Is that what they end up doing? Trying to justify what they did or then trying to cover it up? But what about yourself? I think we all are guilty of the same. We begin to try to cover up the things that we've done wrong. Well, David is successful in this part of the cover-up, at least. Uriah is indeed killed in battle. And David marries Bathsheba after a respectable amount of time. But the damage is done. Unfortunately, David is still in denial. To him, it seems that everything is okay and back to normal. But nothing could be further from the truth. You see, David loves God. God loves David too much to just let it slide. God loves David too much just to let it go. And so we learn that God's upper story will always win out over our lower story. God's upper story will always win out over our lower story. We sometimes think we can just go ahead and live whatever way we want to, and no one would ever know the difference. The thing is that God knows. And God doesn't just sit still. Page 162 of the story tells us that David's sins were exposed through Nathan the prophet. Nathan hears from God and speaks what God tells him. And then Nathan goes to David and exposes David's horrible scandals. He, uh, he tells them this parable, and we saw that in the video. And you know, you've got to really appreciate Nathan's approach to this, right? Because he doesn't just go up and tell, tell David, you know, I know you did something wrong. You know, God knows that you did something wrong. But he, he paints a word picture for, for David that just strikes at the very heart of who David is. Because remember, David was a shepherd. And David knew of little lambs and tending sheep. And so the parable that he tells is of two men, one a rich man and one a not-so-rich man. The rich man had lots of sheep, lots of lambs to choose from. The poor man, only one. And the poor man loved that little ewe lamb and fed it and took care of it and treated it as its own child. And the rich man had a visitor. And so the rich man wanted to entertain the visitor. And rather than taking one of his own sheep, one of his own little lambs, he takes the poor man's single lamb and slaughters it and feeds it to his guest. And this makes David mad. It makes him livid. He says, who is that man? He must die. And Nathan points the finger 
and says, David, you are that man. David was fortunate to have a friend like Nathan. Everyone should have a Nathan in their life. Someone who isn't afraid to speak the truth in love, even if it's the hardest thing to do. Um, I don't think any of us would want to be Nathan. I don't think any of us would want to have to do that, to confront someone in, in their life with their problems. But I've had Nathans in my life, and I'm thankful for that. And I've had to be Nathan on an occasion. And it isn't a great place to be. But afterwards, it was very much appreciated. Thankfully so. So David, unlike his predecessor Saul, does not make excuses, but fully confesses his sins. He doesn't make excuses. He doesn't try to justify what he did. David, David's response is what continues to separate him from others in the Bible, like King Saul, for instance. So even though David sinned horribly, he was willing to face up to his sin and to repent. And again, you know that, that psalm that we read together, Psalm 51, was really sort of his personal journal, his personal prayer journal. And uh, I would like us to read through it again, even though we've read through the whole thing once. I would like us to read through it again. So let's read through Psalm 51 again. Let's read it together. Be merciful to me, O God, because of your constant love. Because of your great mercy, wipe away my sins. Wash away all my evil and make me clean from my sin. Recognize, I recognize my faults. I am always conscious of my sins. I have sinned against you, only against you, and done what you consider evil. So you are right in judging me. You are justified in condemning me. I have been evil from the day I was born. From the time I was conceived, I have been sinful. Sincerity and truth are what you require. Fill my mind with your wisdom. Remove my sin and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear the sounds of joy and gladness. And though you have crushed me and broken me, I will be happy once again. Close your eyes to my sins and wipe out all my evil. Create a pure heart in me, O God, and put a new and loyal spirit in me. Do not banish me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. Give me again the joy that comes from your salvation and make me willing to obey you. If only we had the strength and fortitude in our relationship with God the way that David did. To be willing to face God with honesty and openness in our ups and downs. And while God certainly forgives David and restores his relationship, David's sin is not without its consequences. So I think the last thing that we learn from David's story is that our lower story consequences don't need to overshadow our relationship with God. They really don't. Now, what were some of the consequences from David's sin? Let me, let me read a few to you. The uh, baby that, that uh, Bathsheba got pregnant by the first time, that baby dies. 
And yet later, another baby is born by Bathsheba named Solomon, and he becomes the following king. Um, In another story, David's daughter is raped by one of her brothers, her half-brothers. Later on down the line, another son, Absalom, rebels from David. In fact, he tries to take over his kingdom. Now, this isn't, you know, um, this isn't watered-down stories in the Bible. These are hard things to have to read. And yet, these are some of the consequences that happened from David's sin. And while David was restored in his relationship with God, he still had to face those consequences. There are consequences to his kingdom as well. Like I said, he flees in exile when Absalom rebels and takes the throne. But, like we saw in the video, Absalom dies, but David's other son, another son, tries to provoke another rebellion. And finally, David sort of settles it all when he puts Solomon on the throne. 1 Chronicles 29, verses 10 through 13, documents um, perhaps David's last thoughts at the end of his reign as king. It says this, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord, God God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Wealth and power, wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. In spite of all the things that David had gone through in the last chapter of his life, he's able to stand before the whole nation and give praise to God. I have to think that as a king and as a ruler and as a parent, he's a broken man. But he's still a man after God's own heart. And God restored him to that relationship, even though he had sinned badly. This kind of reminds me of a New Testament story, actually. Um, You know, after the resurrection of Jesus, Peter and the disciples have all scattered And some of them go out on a boat for some fishing, perhaps returning to the only thing that they knew. And in the night, Jesus comes to them and beckons them to shore. And there they find a fire and Jesus cooking a meal for them. If you recall, Peter has already denied Jesus three times. But in this scene, Jesus restores Peter in the relationship. 
John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. It's printed there in your outline. I just want to read that, and you can follow along if you'd like. After they had eaten, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than others do? Yes, Lord, he answered. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, take care of my lambs. A second time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he answered. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, take care of my sheep. A third time, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter became sad because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And so he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, take care of my sheep. Now, some people wonder, why did Jesus have to ask Peter three times? And a lot of theologians think that it's because Peter denied him three times. And so for each time that Peter denied Jesus, Jesus restored him. I don't think Peter quite understood it, but looking back, I think we can see that. What, what a beautiful picture of the love and restoration that Christ brings to us. When we simply lay down our pride and self-centeredness and selfishness and jealousy and admit when we're wrong and when we need cleansing, and we know that he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible is filled with stories of godly, heroic figures. But I think the beauty of the Bible is that it, just, it doesn't hold anything back. It's not so much what great things people do or even what great things God does through people. Sometimes it's what great things God does in spite of people, in spite of his people. David is a great example of that. Even though David blew it, as big as he did, even though he tried to cover it up, when finally confronted with his sins, he confessed and repented of them. And he lived with the consequences of his sin. God forgave him, but what's more important is that God had something else in mind as all of this unfolded. Bathsheba, in her illicit relationship with David, became part of the blood lineage that would lead to Jesus Christ. The horrible mistake that they made became part of God's wonderful, beautiful tapestry that points us back to Jesus as the ultimate Savior of all of mankind. The one that would be the one to forgive our sins and provide a way for us to be saved from our sins. Now that doesn't excuse us from our mistakes. But we have to remember that God is a God who redeems our mistakes and makes them into something very beautiful. May 2014 be a year we live out God's redemptive plan for humanity. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this story, as hard as it is to hear. It is the truth. Sometimes the truth is hard. 
But it's also a beautiful thing to know that no matter what happens in our life, what we see as good and what we see as bad, in some ways, God sees it all as the same. What he can use to his glory, for his purposes, and for his upper story. And so we want to trust in that, Lord. As we begin this new year, whatever may happen, and we know that what we see as good and what we see as bad will come our way. But may we continue to look to you, and may we also echo the words of of David in his Psalms, that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing to you. Amen. As Dennis and Daryl are playing an instrumental, you could use this time to uh, reflect upon what you learned from the message in prayer.